One of the fathers of behavioural psychology, a guy named B.F. Skinner, had a famous experiment. He'd put a hungry rat in a box. Inside the box, there'd be a button and a tube, out of which sometimes a pellet of food would drop. At first he set it up so that each time the rat pressed the button, it would get a pellet of food, and it wouldn't take the rat long to figure it out. Press button, get food. Then Skinner would change the rules. Sometimes the rat would press the button and nothing would happen. It would keep pressing and pressing and suddenly a food pellet would drop. But there was no pattern to it. Sometimes the rat would press the button and a pellet would drop and sometimes it wouldn't. The animal had no way of knowing when, so it would just press the button over and over and over again. Skinner thought this technique worked on humans too. It's kind of like the way people use Facebook. You never know when somebody's going to write on your wall or tag you in a photo, so you just check constantly whenever you have a spare minute, sometimes not even conscious you're doing it. To explain his findings back in the 30s, B.F. Skinner wasn't pointing to Facebook. Instead, he compared his experiments to an invention that was still relatively new at the time. Skinner used what he called reward schedules to keep the rats in his experiments pressing the pedal. As he saw it, there's a similar technique at work in gambling, but it's called a payout schedule, how regularly a poker machine gives you money. And it used to be pretty straightforward. Sometimes you'd put in a dollar and win money, and sometimes, a lot of the time, you'd win nothing. That was until the early 1990s, when an Australian company had kind of a genius idea. In this Global Mail podcast, the story of how one gambling company, Aristocrat, redesigned the poker machine. They had people bet smaller amounts, they paid out more money, they broke all the rules in the business and made billions doing it. So right now we're in the storage basement of Sydney's Powerhouse Museum, where they have in their collection one of the oldest poker machines in the country. A curator, Charles Pickett, is showing us the machine. It's called the Little Bandit, and it looks like a small mechanical cash register. It has three reels, they line up in only one row, and there's another pretty crucial difference. You know, you can spin the wheel and you can win a jackpot, Um, but as a way of getting around the law, they didn't use money. They used tokens, like coins. And if you won, you generally got paid in cigars or drinks or even lollies. And that's where the term fruit machine in the state comes from. Because that was a way of allowing people to gamble in a way that was sort of semi-legal, because they weren't playing for money. So let's go back to the rats for a minute. What kept them pressing the button in their cage over and over again, even when they did it and nothing happened, was the sense that the next time they pressed the button, that could be the time they got food. They were always potentially one push away from a reward, so it made sense to keep pushing. And of course, gambling companies want the same thing. They want to keep you sitting in your chair spending money. On these old mechanical machines, and on most machines up until the 1980s, there are options for giving you that sense of reward what psychologists call reinforcement, and what the rats in B.F. Skinner's experiment called lunch, are pretty limited. 
you either won or you lost, and you couldn't win too often because that would be expensive for the company. And of course you have to win sometimes, and often enough so that you don't get disillusioned with the machine and walk away. As technology improved, poker machine designers were finding cheaper ways to give you that sense of reinforcement. So on electronic poker machines, they'd use a technique called clustering, where they'd program the symbols right above or below winning symbols to appear more often. You'd lose, but you'd see the winning symbol, the one you've been looking out for, appear just above the winning line. The designers could also use electronic machines to make your odds of winning seem much higher. Let's say you're planning to get as many bell symbols as you can. As you're watching the reels spin, you might see a lot of bells flick past. You think your chance of getting one is pretty good. Except in the machine's programming, where the game is now really happening, there might be far fewer bells in the mix. Your chances of getting one are actually quite low, but it doesn't seem that way to you. Meanwhile, in Australia, one company was taking note of all these advances. Aristocrat is a poker machine manufacturer based in the Sydney suburb of North Ryde. In the early 1990s, gambling in Australia was deregulated. Over the course of the decade, machine numbers jumped from 50,000 up to above 200,000. Per capita, Australia had among the most machines in the world. And throughout the decade, this company Aristocrat was tinkering with a new kind of machine that would become hugely popular, so much so that it came to be known around the world as the Australian format machine. Sometimes Australians assume that these machines came from the States, but actually, no, it's from Aristocrat. That's Natasha Dow-Shull, a professor at MIT in the United States. When I began my research, uh, you know, eight eons ago in the early 90s, aristocrat really did what they were like the aristocrats of these gaming conventions they would walk around and everyone looked up to them and said uh, sort of pointed to australia as our future and in many ways they were right she's written a book about it it's called addiction by design and in the book she writes about the rise of this new kind of machine which began to appear in the early 1990s and which at first seemed to break all the rules of gambling for one thing it allowed you to win more often Instead of just trying to match up symbols in the middle, this new Australian machine let you make combinations on any line that showed up or on zigzagging lines or lines that cut back and forth across the screen. The sense it gives is that you're winning something all the time. In fact, on some of the latest machines, you have over 3,000 lines on which to make combinations. Another way they broke the rules, they encouraged you to bet much smaller amounts. Instead of having you put $10 on a single line, these machines let you break up your bet into one and two cent pieces and spread it across all these new lines. So in theory, you had a much bigger chance of winning. That was what was so radical about the, these Australian format games um, and this ability to uh, sort of split and divide your bet uh, across multiple lines by breaking it down into many tiny little bets. So you're assured of more often of winning something back. So it's almost like if you think about investment trading, it's like um, you know diversifying your portfolio. It's a sort of risk. It's not risk taking. I mean, it is, but it's in, a, in the mode of risk management and controlling risk. Um, and this, this kind of interaction with the machine allows for much more of a steady, smooth rhythm rather than long dry spells and sudden wins which would be the volatile kind of um, games that you see on like the old three-reel machines, because you couldn't split your bet up, right? You, you were just you either won or you lost. These new machines increased what the gambling industry calls time on device, 
you still have the same chance of losing all your money, but it just takes much longer. And the industry found that in terms of maximizing profit, that wasn't such a bad thing. This has been the sort of sea change movement you've seen, both in what gamblers are encountering and then seeking out, and what the gaming industry is learning that it can profit from. Not fleecing you immediately and sending you on your way, but you know, giving you the ergonomic chair to sit in and let you, letting you really hang out and maybe play twice as long, but in the end taking you know, twice as much or more of your, of your money and assuring that you're going to come back again. So why do you keep coming back? Well, the reason goes back to B.F. Skinner's experiment. By always giving you the sense that you've won something, these machines can constantly give you reinforcement, reward your behaviour while still walking away with your money. People don't often notice in the flow of play that they're losing, they're experiencing these things, and the audiovisual feedback the machines give them is identical to when they really are winning. So if you put in 45 coins and win 15 back, that's like an opportunity for the industry or for the machine to give you reinforcement. And they're reinforcing your persistence, not with, a re- with an actual reward or an actual win, but with a loss. I mean, that's, do you see how, that, that, how that's really a quite sophisticated um, step up from more primitive reinforcement models? I mean, they found a way to twist it so that even when you're losing, it's an opportunity for reinforcement because you're, you're, you, you sort of feel and have the sense and get the stimuli of a reward that isn't really a reward. These machines have been a huge success for the industry. Go to your local pub. The vast majority of machines are likely to be these multi-line multipliers pioneered by aristocrats. And by the year 2000, they'd hit the US. The trend there had been towards more expensive machines, where you bet 25 cents or a dollar at a time. It was thought that machines where you just bet one or two cents would be eventually phased out, that nobody was using them. But in 2010, when Las Vegas asked its residents in an annual survey, what was their favorite denomination to gamble with? The sort of question I guess you can only get away with in Vegas. One in three said the one cent coin. They're also the problem gambler's machine of choice. In Australia, research shows that gambling addicts, people who can't control their betting, spent 90% of their time gambling on these one-cent machines. Natasha Schull also says that these machines really appealed to a new kind of gambler. Not the put-it-all-on-black, high-stakes, high-action player you might imagine a big gambler to be. Instead, these machines really appeal to people called escape gamblers. Escape gambling is more less about the win and more about the experience and the kind of zone you get into. It's more rhythmic and it's facilitated by these newer digital machines uh, that, that are smoothing, you know, as I said, sort of distributing the, the wins and the losses more evenly and um, kind of giving you the same, the same, the same on every hand so that you don't really experience these jolts of uh, volatility and chance. So escape gambling, in some ways, would be sort of the, the, the action of the, the opposite of what we think of as um, risk taking. By being engaged in this way and so absorbed by the rhythm of something and the flow of it, you really forget your everyday problems. Um, you, you sometimes even forget your body, um, and people seem to be seeking that out. Aristocrat, meanwhile, have become the second largest poker machine manufacturer in the world. 
the company doubled its net profit in 2012. And Aristocrat is still innovating. Last year it purchased a mobile phone gambling company. They make apps for your phone and for Facebook, onto which they'll be releasing their latest poker machine products before they hit the casino floor. You can find the story of Aristocrat's Australian format machine and how it took over the world in Natasha Schull's book, Addiction by Design, available here on Kindle. This has been a Global Mail podcast. For more stories on Australia's gambling industry, see our website, www.theglobalmail.org. I'm Michael Safi. Thanks for listening.